the long run, passivity won't pay off. It never pays off. If you want a life of meaning and transcendence, you're going to have to move. Aggression doesn't have to be toxic or damaging. Healthy aggression risks. It builds new things. It breaks through barriers. It's the key to living a life that matters. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. I would bet that the podcast called The Aggressive Life tracks a higher percentage of people who look at the word adventure as a positive word. I bet we have more than our fair share of hikers, campers, or aspiring parachuters someday. You actually want to jump out of a plane. I I bet that may be the case. You know, the biggest adventure you have isn't going to be one of those classic physical adventures. The biggest adventure you have is going to be choosing your career. It's going to be changing your career. The biggest adventure you have is going to be starting a new daily or weekly regimen that you didn't have before. It's it's those things that are uncomfortable. It's those things that you haven't done before. It's those things that if you do those things, you have a really, really high chance of your life being better. That's the kind of guy we're going to talk to today. If I was a betting man, which I am, I'd wager today's guest has been in your home. Not to be creepy, but he has. You you don't know him personally, but his work has been beamed into millions of homes across the world. It's redefined entertainment for an entire generation. Survivor, The Voice, Shark Tank, The Bible, goes on and on and on and on. These shows, have they've changed television. And if you're an average American, you you spend some, if not a lot of time with them and with his creations. Mark Burnett, his success is astounding. His productions have aired in 70 countries. He's been nominated for a whopping 143 Emmy Awards. If you drive yourself to Hollywood Boulevard, you'll find his name inside a star. But I'll tell you what, his name, his reputation, his life is a lot more than just great TV. He is a fully engaged husband and father. He's a veteran of prestigious parachute regiment of the British Army. He went from selling T-shirts in Venice Beach to being named by Time Magazine as one of the most influential people in the world. And he changed TV, by the way. The tribe has spoken, and I couldn't be more excited to say, welcome to the aggressive life, Mark Burnett. Hi there. Glad to be here. (laughs) Well, man, I tell you what, I think your story is one of the most interesting, aggressive things I've ever heard. The aggressive life is about taking control of your life. The aggressive life is about not passively waiting for somebody to do for you what you want to have happen, but saying, hey, this is one life. I've got one life to live. And and you did that coming to America and everything you've done. Just take us back to like even the aggressive move of how you got to the country of the U.S. of A. You know, I was 22, just left the British Parachute Regiment. I've been in a, a couple of wars And, um, you know, I'd grown up, like most people around the world, watching American television and just fascinated by how massive the freeways are, how big the cars, how incredible you've got palm trees on one coast and massive pine forests on the other. Just amazing country. Who wouldn't want the American dream? And, And that's why I came here. I came here after the army 
looking for an American dream. So when you landed in America, like, did you have a dream of what you wanted to do? Did you have a a financial cushion that was going to get you started? I mean, what did you land with? What assets did you have to get started? Oh, the only assets of coming out of an elite military unit like the Parachute Regiment, um, which is part in Britain of uh, the Special Forces Group in Britain, um, I thought I may do something, you know, around military, security, things like that. Um, and uh, But as I was leaving Heathrow Airport in London, my mother, I was the only child, my mother said to me, you know, we kind of went through hell for the last several years. We're never really knowing where you were, often just getting messages from the military that we may not hear from you for a while. And uh, we understand you going to America, but just one promise, nothing with weapons. Nothing like that. And that was going to be one of my things I might have wanted to do. But I looked her in the eye. I promised. And so I, as I got on that plane with $200, wasn't sure what I would do, but I knew that I wouldn't break that promise. And I'd find something that didn't involve, you know, weapons. You land with $200 in your pocket to start a new life in the land of opportunity. What was your first job? First job was a servant in a home in Beverly Hills watching the kids a bit, driving, and picking up dog poop from their tennis court. Um, interesting thing, Brian. So that's, that was, the, what, 1982. 30 years later, I was made the president of Metro Goldwyn Mayer, the TV and movie studio. Jeez. They assigned me an office. And I looked out the window, and I sort of realized, oh, we must be on Beverly Drive. Where I was a servant was 624 North Beverly Drive, Beverly Hills. I said, what's the address of this building we're in? They said, 245 Beverly Drive. I looked to the west. I could barely just make out the house where I was a servant. I can see that home from my office where I'm currently, I'm now the chairman of Global Television for MGM. And that's an American dream. I was a servant. And then I became the chairman of MGM, and I can see the house where I was a servant in from my office. Dude, that is unbelievable. I mean, I'd like to get into some of your some of your creations, but this this is the thing for me that is so inspiring, and I find personally very very challenging. You didn't satisfy. We weren't satisfied with where you were. You obviously had just a bunch of like from servant to this. You had a bunch of had a a bunch of steps before you got to that that position. Was there anything you found that as you, as you climbed the ladder, even today we talk about oh people who climb the ladder. Hey, I don't want to say I'm up for climbing the ladder. I want to go higher. I don't know why that's a derogatory phrase. I want to go higher. Have you, ever, have you found as you've climbed the ladder, have there been any constant skills or attributes or mindsets that you've had to put into place? Well, I think you need to understand each person has different drivers and uh, different things they want to go towards and different things to avoid. And so when you look at your drivers, pretty much people are either running very fast towards pleasure or running very fast away from pain. And you're either a pain or a pleasure person, mainly driving you. I realized for me, it was a pain thing. What was it I really wanted to avoid? I wanted to avoid looking back 30 years later full of regret, but I didn't go for it. And therefore, my pain 
of failing in the short term and looking stupid that I did things that didn't work out or I failed was far less painful than the idea that in the long term, I'm kind of a bit of a loser who was too afraid to go for my dreams. So my pain of a, to avoid was this long-term pain that I didn't actually go for it. And the short-term pain of failing several times didn't even matter to me. Yes. I was worried more so of avoiding the long-term pain of regret. Yes. I have, I have some friends that encouraged me to do this podcast. I wasn't actually thinking about doing a podcast, but they said you should do it. And they, and they actually pitched me and said, this, is, this should be the, the name of it. They're called The Aggressive Life. And I... And I said, really? Why do you think that? And they said, well, because you say all the time, make aggressive mistakes, make aggressive mistakes. And that's exactly what you're saying here. I, I would far rather do something that was wrong, but I was moving to do something than sit back and wait and see and have a mistake that comes from passivity. Those mistakes are always the ones that hurt. Yeah. And you don't really want to look in the mirror as you get in 60s, you know, 70s and think, man, you know, I should have right. taken those moves. And it's all because people don't want to look bad. They don't want to be embarrassed. They're worried they might lose something, mainly their pride. And it's okay, you know. Many successful people fail several times. And what does fail even mean? It's like it's just a, a checkpoint on the path, really. Well, and I also find that even if I make a mistake, but I've and I've been aggressive. I've made a number of other choices that are aggressive. They're going to overwhelm the negativity that came from that bad one. You know, I've got basically other stocks in my portfolio. They're, they're going to pay off at some point, but if I'm sitting immobile, it's not going to help me at all. Yeah, and Brian, you know, all this has to be tempered with some level of logic and smartness. Right. I mean, you just can't make dumb moves, like assume that, oh, I have no skill set. I'm going to walk on a tightrope over the Grand Canyon. You're going to fall off and kill yourself because you have no skill set. Yes. You, you have to... You know, have some sort of rational behavior in your aggressive moves. It's controlled aggression, not yes. wild, crazy aggression. Like a boxer with crazy aggression gets knocked out. Controlled aggression, coupled with skill, wins fights. Yeah, well, that's a that's a great segue into your career here, because as as I believe, and I think it's been said many times, I don't know if you say it or not. You basically invented reality TV. You basically invented, let's not have a script. Let's not, you know, have everything buttoned up, reality TV. That, that was aggressive. So how did, you, how did you mitigate that? How did you think about that? I mean, what kind of pitch did you have to give people to say, well, let's just put people on an island and see what happens with Survivor or actually uh, the raid, I think, that you did before, before that uh, in France? I mean, wh- how, did you, how did you put your mind around that and mitigate potential downsides? Well, it's not just that I decided to be a TV producer. I decided to produce an outdoor contest where teams of four people would race 300 miles nonstop on horses, mountains, canoes, kayaks, mountain bikes. And I needed sponsorship to fund this contest, this team contest. And sponsors said, sure, it sounds kind of interesting. What's the TV? How do we get our exposure from um, sponsoring you? I'm like, oh, uh, oh yeah, we have a TV show. <laughs> I did not have a TV show, and I decided, okay, I'm going to make a TV show. So I went to compete in a race, a French race, and I asked the French organizers 
who were filming this race already to give me usage for free of all their French footage transferred into the American system, and I would then try and publicize their race. Also, I convinced a small local channel in Los Angeles to provide a cameraman and a, and a host to film me with the American team in this race. And that I would use all that French footage, which would make this small American local Los Angeles channel have a multi-million dollar show because it was given for free by the French to me and they would do this show. I, but then I said, I will own the underlying rights to what's made. I then took that show that Channel 9, KCAL, Los Angeles made about me racing with these other guys and I then bartered it to ESPN for no money, but they gave me commercials in which I sold to those sponsors that in the first place I was trying to get money from. Now the sponsors had exposure on a TV show and even some commercials, and I received money for that, and I thought, hmm. this is actually not that hard, you know, because I didn't know anything. So therefore, my naive approach didn't tell me there was any downside or I wouldn't achieve it. I just thought, oh, this isn't, I'll just do it, you know? And very quickly after a couple of those, I won my first Emmy and realized, well, mm. I guess I am a producer. I called myself one. I made a show by hiring people. I did it because I, I needed exposure for the sponsors, not because I wanted to be in TV. But I guess I must be okay at this, you know, this filming human nature. And that first show, that first Emmy was called Eco Challenge. It's a show, by the way, that I'm bringing back right now oh, wow. with Amazon Prime, um, which was my first ever show, my first ever Emmy. I got that Emmy in 1998. The experience I learned on making the outdoor contest called Eco Challenge was then transferred to Survivor because Survivor was a bunch of people on an island creating a new society. And what I'd learned on that outdoor contest I took the same camera team, same producers, and I, when CBS had a problem with Survivor, I told them, why don't we get sponsors? And if you get sponsors, it'll make your downside so much less. And CBS gave me a chance and said, you have two months to deliver some sponsors. I delivered three major sponsors in about two weeks. Mm. They were astonished and said, well, I guess you know what you're doing. Go ahead and make it. Mm. I made it on an island in Borneo, in uh, Southeast Asia. It was so far away, very few CBS executives even came, which allowed me the control to make Survivor how I wanted to make it, and the rest is history. Remember that first Survivor yeah. season in the summer of 2000 peaked at 72 million viewers. It was the most watched television since Sonny and Cher in 1973. Wow. I mean, that was that had to be a logistical nightmare to be able to pull that off. Yeah, it was crazy. But remember, I came out of the military. I'd already worked on this giant outdoor contest. And I just felt I could pull it off. And I had not enough people. In those days, that Survivor first crew was only 80 people. Today, the Survivor crew is 400 people. Oh, my gosh. It's the same show. Therefore, those 80 people were doing double duty all the time hardly sleeping. It wasn't sustainable, but for one season it was. It was a brilliant group of people that I'd worked with on my Eco Challenge show. 
And we just, by force of personality and esprit de corps and standing together aggressively, we got it done. Yeah, that's that's an utterly mind-blowing story. I remember when that that show came out. Everyone's mind was blown of, oh my gosh, Survivor, and, and you, and it's still going 40, 40 seasons long. I mean, what what makes a show like that last for forty seasons? It's core values. If you think, if you break Survivor down, it's really simple, but pretty uh, incredible. A bunch of people have to survive. So that's one level. They're all hungry. They need to be able to survive. Level two, they're surviving as a group, two groups, in fact. And those two groups are against each other. And personalities start to form. There's leaders, there's followers, there's strong, there's weak, there's politically smart, and people maybe not as politically smart. And so within their own tribe, they're sort of battling for prominence because everybody wants to be prominent. And they're also battling against another tribe. And each week, someone is voted out in a secret vote. But the key factor is that at the very end, the only way you win the million dollars is getting the votes from the very people that you eliminated. So imagine that in a management training expertise. Can you fire someone from an organization and still have them love you, still have them respect you, because the way you did it? Because if you do it in the wrong way, there's no way they're going to give you that million dollars. The very people that you eliminate are the only way you're going to get that million by them giving it to you. Fascinating. I, I I hadn't thought of Survivor as timeless narratives that we all want to be a part of. It's like we all need a fantasy that someday I might need to survive. And I, I feel like that you've tapped into something of us, of us just wanting something big to be a part of. I'm just saying something to get you to say something interesting. What do you say to all that, Mark? Well, you know, everybody has... Um, Probably everybody at some point has been on an airplane or a cruise ship or whatever and thought, wow, if this thing went down and there was like a 20 people left and I was one of them, how would I fit in? And you look around at other people, you should do it, try it. Your listeners should try it. Look around in group settings. You could be at Starbucks, you could be on a plane. If this was the last group left, where do you fit in? Are you useful? Are you useless? How would you fit into a society where... Your fast car, your smart suit, or your muscles, or whatever, your gun, whatever, don't mean anything anymore. It's just you on an island with a bunch of people who have to make fire, build a shelter, and catch fish to eat. How useful would you be? And it's really a fascinating thing. Adventure has been with us forever. People, you know, have been exploring the world and having adventures. And now it's kind of almost an organized adventure, but more vacations take place around adventure type things. Less people just sit on a beach. People do things these days. It's in our nature as humans to do things. Biblically, look at the adventures in the Bible, one of the greatest adventure books ever written of the amount of travels and things to overcome. Human nature, men and women alike, whatever race you're from, whether you're rich or poor, gay or straight, male or female, you know, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, everybody understands that thrill of adventure and wondering how they would personally do if given that responsibility. 
Well, you brought up the Bible, Mark. You know, it's always it's always the holiday guy that brings up the Bible. Since you brought it up, I'll talk about the Bible for a moment. <laughs> let's talk about your let's talk about your faith. How has your faith helped you or hurt you in Hollywood? I'm sure it's helped you and I'm sure it's hurt you. Agree, disagree? Can you tell us anything there? My faith has not hurt me at all in Hollywood. Because I, as you know very well, Brian, because you know me in Roma, we are probably the noisiest Christians in Hollywood. And we only live our faith on our sleeve. We don't hide our faith. We're very noisy about it. I mean, let's face it, when we made that Bible series, you know, I already had Survivor, The Voice, Shark Tank, you know, tons of shows on TV. Uh, Roma and I Touched by an Angel. And we made the Bible. People said, you guys are crazy. First of all, no one's going to watch the Bible on primetime TV. They go to church, got plenty of that in Bible study groups. No one's going to watch the Bible on primetime TV when they could be watching The Voice or The Bachelor or something else. And second of all, it's going to hurt you guys. It makes you guys seem crazy that suddenly this influential Hollywood couple are now running around like evangelicals. And we didn't listen because we felt it was a very underserved audience And the only issue with making faith content was most of it wasn't really good. It's pretty crappy. We decided just being a Christian does not give you the license to make bad TV and films. Good TV and films will work. I mean, look at Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ was really, really well made and did amazingly. So we set out to make the Bible 10 hours, five hours Old Testament, five hours New Testament. The Bible came on. And we were right. Our Bible series had 100 million viewers, and it was head-to-head against Sunday nights, against Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. The Bible had more viewers than Walking Dead and Game of Thrones combined. Mm. And a CNN headline that week said, God beats zombies. <laughs> oh man, that is that is strong. This is a, this is a huge deal, though. You talked about you know your faith in the Bible. I I, I find that if I'm going to hire somebody to do work on my house or someplace, if they put a Christian symbol on their business card, I'm not hiring them because oftentimes someone puts a symbol on their business card because they're trying to get a leg up on the competition because their service or quality isn't great. Hire me and give me grace because I'm a Christian. I'm great on giving you grace. I'm just not going to hire you just because you're a Christian. You, but you, you, you're saying you were, you were operating under a higher standard, which is why people took you seriously. Yeah, and um, Kim, I've never, I haven't experienced that. But you know, then you also know in the Bible it says things like people who are fasting, for example. It says in the Bible, you know, there's no respect for people who are fasting and walking around looking like the death warmed up, oh, I feel so bad, I'm fasting, because they want sympathy. Yes. Or people giving charity, and you go, look at me, yep. look at me, I gave $100 to these people. I mean, it's not, that's not what we're about. That's what I'm talking you about, know, yep. We don't need to hide it, but you don't have to also broadcast it, unless, in the case of me and Roma, when you've got a TV show that's going global, it's called The Bible. You know, it's not that so you put out and then hide. We went out there, as you know, Brian, because we came and saw you around that time, all over the country, on every news channel. And we, this is the example of where we started this conversation about fear of not doing a good job versus short-term embarrassment. We put ourselves out there. 
The Bible could have obviously been a disaster. Nobody may have watched it. We didn't have a crystal ball. We didn't know. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit was actually speaking loudly to us and saying, don't worry, I got you. It's going to work out. We believe that in our interior faith, but it wasn't like we actually knew. But we went out there all over the country with an aggressive approach, controlled aggression, and told everybody it was great because we knew it was great. You should watch it. I remember Oprah calling us up and saying, man, you guys, the whole country is talking about the Bible. Who knew the water cooler talk of America would be the Bible? Yes. It was all, it was everywhere, you know, and we stepped out. We did it. We put our own money. We went for it. So there are audiences for Christian content, but you have to make it well. In the end, whether you're making a song, a podcast, building a church, building a car, make it great. Because you don't get to make things badly and just because you're a Christian or just because you're whatever faith you are, uh, that you get away with it. You have to do a good job of things and you have to put yourself out there and you have to be willing to fall over and make mistakes. Nothing, not everything works out, you know? That's right. All right, Mark, let's go to the lightning round. The rules of the lightning round is I ask you something and you've got to answer it in three sentences or less. Can you, can you take that challenge? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not really being given a choice, so I'll just do it. <laughs> okay, good. Favorite TV show you've ever produced? The Bible. Biggest aggressive mistake in your career? Spotting brilliant people along the last 20 years and not hiring them quick enough, then turning around and realizing, oh, that person now has even done things more than I ever imagined. I knew I should have hired that person. Reason why American Idol has lost steam. Come on. You, 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 I know you do no, the I'm voice. Think, I'm, think, I'm thinking. <laughs> I, I, I haven't really been following it. Um, really lost steam. Well, I think it's doing okay. I mean, they adjusted. They originally lost steam because it kind of had a mean approach. And the, my show, The Voice, came along and was a much kinder, gentler way, still with great drama because of the coaches having the banter between them. But I think American Idol is doing okay now. But I haven't checked lately. Honestly, I don't even know. That's interesting on the approach because... Yeah, you're right. It did have uh, a couple seasons was hyper into the mean, and you basically went with the biblical worldview of let's try to, you know, let's try to help people and be more positive. And what do you know? That's sold. Fascinating. God's values actually work. Favorite Survivor location? Well, I mean, so many brilliant places. Um, Got to pick one. Survivor Cook Islands. Favorite Hollywood A-listers to work alongside? Jamie Foxx. He's so talented. And also a man of God. Last one. Last one. Current TV show obsession. What are you watching these days? Um, things I've liked recently. Succession, I thought was great. Um, obviously, Game of Thrones, I thought was amazing. Um, I, I made a show recently. It's on Netflix called Messiah, which is a story of a guy from the Middle East who's surrounded by miracles. Yes, I've, I've heard of it. And Yeah, and so he's either one of three things. He's either a very clever terrorist who's pretending to be Jesus, or, number two, he's an insane person who believes he's Jesus, or thirdly, 
Well, I'm I'm ashamed to say I haven't I haven't watched that show. I've I've heard of it. I've heard of the controversy surrounded at least in Christian circles. That's not why I haven't watched it. I just haven't had it on my queue. So now I'm intrigued. I'm going to watch Messiah, and maybe we all should. So, final question that was actually leads into the final question we ask everybody. Mark, if someone wanted to um, follow your work and know the latest of your thinking or anything like that, is there any any place they could follow you? Well, a little bit. Twitter from me and Instagram, but mainly the best way to follow up with me is follow my wife, Roma Downey, and Roma's great. All right, Mark. Take care, Brian. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band Judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.